I started a nationally trending uh, hashtag this week, so you know I got that going for me. Uh, Wingian Gabriel, known uh, for showing uh, his insane athletic ability multiple times uh, on the court uh, and off. You know, it's always how is Buddy and not what is Buddy drinking. You think, oh my gosh, I caught a break. They're they're leaving the floor. Now you're a meme on Twitter because Reed Shepard just dumped on you. What is up, Big Blue Nation? Matt Sack BBN here, joined by just two-thirds of my Twitter best friends. We got Big Blue Bud. We have Wildcat's Tongue. And Bradley, he is listening somewhere in spirit, hopefully. Actually, he doesn't listen to us. He doesn't listen to his own podcast. Unbelievable. But anyways, we are up to no good. We'll talk about that later, Bradley. But anyways, for now, we just get to talk about Bruiser Flint for like an hour. How does that sound, guys? Buddy, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I don't know what I'm going to do this episode. If Bradley's not here for me to like change my backgrounds and make faces and make him laugh. That's kind of like my go-to thing when you guys are talking and I'm not listening, just trying to make Brad laugh. Um, So I'm kind of lost, but we'll see what happens. But uh, feeling pretty good. Otherwise, excited for the game. Not tomorrow, but maybe tomorrow when you're listening. Uh, But Saturday and um, I'm feeling good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. uh, No Bradley. So we'll have a shortage of Wenyan Gabriel jokes tonight although there's nothing short about Wenyan Gabriel jokes WT how are you doing I'm actually doing fantastic I spend my time uh before recording this uh, I was at Mammoth Cave National Park oh. uh there is a uh meteor shower oh my gosh uh, tonight I was it was really exciting saw like uh like eight or nine meteors that were pretty cool learned a lot about some stars and uh, I, I can now identify Beetlejuice as a star. I can identify the, it's not the Pilates, but it's a similar word. WT, like the, yeah. We very nearly ended up both there at the same time because my girlfriend brought that up, sent me a text actually, and then brought that up yesterday. Was to, oh, we can go see the Geminids. It's supposed to be 50 meteors an hour. And it's this thing at the uh, Mammoth Cave and they take you out to a place and it's extra. Yeah. So uh we we didn't end up didn't end up going, but uh, it was actually was it, it was actually was sick. It cool? They had uh five uh telescopes set up, uh, and one of them was connected by app to this like uh projector that they had set up that was zooming into like different galaxies and like different like nebulas and like they were talking about it. It was it it was really really cool. Um, wow. And cool. Uh, there was this one one meteor that uh. Like when it went through the sky, it looked like the sky was on fire for about two seconds. Uh, it was really sick. So I've, uh, I've I'm seen a, some like that, but sorry, go on. Yeah, oh. I'm I'm a big fan of star stuff. So if you really want me to uh, info dump, you ask me about like space and all that. Next time I'm looking for Beetlejuice, you'll be the first person I call. WT is it's the one that looks a little red in the sky. Mm-hmm. WT is Pluto a planet? Uh, Pluto is uh not a planet um of i i would argue that it is not it is not on the same planetary plane as the other planets and it is not the only distant object that orbits the sun it has an odd orbit i would argue that it is just an uh solar object that is of larger size solar object at least a dwarf planet at least I mean, I, think I don't know. It, it just doesn't behave like a planet. But it's Can you co- say it's, that anymore, buddy? 
a dwarf planet? <laughs> I hope so. That's the, the scientific term, I guess. Listen, there are people, they've, it's been determined. NASA or whoever the people in charge are that decide if they're planets or not, that already demoted Pluto to a dwarf planet when I was in like elementary school. I'm still mad about it. Um, but WT not acknowledging it as either is even more insulting. So never mind. I'm not calling you when I have a question. Well, about the question was, is it a planet? And the answer, the scientific answer is no. Anything that is not a planet, you can put whatever qualifier you want in front of that word planet. It is not a planet. WT is just eating up all this propaganda from big solar system right now. <laughs> big solar, not big solar. You're, like, you and all the sheeple that call it a, a dwarf planet. I'm just, I can't deal. I can't deal. I'm on a higher plane of thinking guys. <laughs> oh, Pluto, Plutonian stand up <laughs> team. Pluto. So make sure to tune in next week when we have a, a formal debate about uh, other solar and uh, inner <laughs> interstellar uh, topics. Do you think that's what this Neil podcast De is all about? Do you think Neil deGrasse Tyson would come on our podcast? Hey, friend of the program. Uh, absolutely. I think he would. Uh, so make sure everyone who listens to this episode, please at Neil deGrasse Tyson, inviting him on to put us in our place about whether or not Pluto is a planet or not. I'll bet if we bugged him or his agent enough for long enough that eventually he would come on and just answer our story. <laughs> would that be good content? Would our fan base like that? If they just like, <laughs> we ask we questions could... about space the whole time and they just answer them <laughs> one off. We we could also ask him to make like metaphors like, okay, if basketball was a planet, what planet would it be? <laughs> but the I biggest thing, funny. the funniest thing is we would probably gain like a very scientific audience and be like, oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on, on this podcast. Let's tune in next week. And it's just Bradley talking about Wenyan Gabriel. And everyone's just like, who is Wenyan Gabriel? And they look up Wenyan Gabriel pictures and then they just see a picture of, you know what? And then... We're yeah, I have a problem. Bradley's going to compare like the challenger to um, like Jim Bohan <laughs> or something, and then we're really in trouble. <laughs> but how are you, Matt Sack? How are you? Uh, I'm really tired, but I'm in a good mood now. I'm ready to talk some basketball. What a fun week. Do you know what? We have we have to get this out of the way. Um, Karan Davis. Can we just start there? There isn't like a whole lot of active like UK news to talk about other than just John Calipari and uh, Bruiser Flint quotes. So for y'all that don't know, is is it Corin Davis? Is it Karan Davis? I'm I really call him Karan Davis. I, I'm going with Karan too. Um, I'm just want to give the background and friend of the program, TJ Walker, probably did the best job at it. He put out this tweet. He had to edit it like 117 times. Um, <laughs> also, if you're not listening to Kentucky Roll Call, like, tune in like it it is it has been a very good time the past couple of weeks especially as kentucky basketball picks up a bad loss and it just seems like a lot of miserable people everywhere tj and even nick who's known as a little bit of a basketball pessimist this time has been very fair about how like calipari and the team and just like keeping things like in perspective they've done a very good job so shout out kentucky roll call I'm a big TJ um, Walker guy, personally. yeah so anyways tj walker puts out this tweet Perfectly sums up the Karan Davis situation for you all who don't know. Karan Davis was a player for the University of Louisville under uh, at maybe by the time you're listening to this former head coach, Kenny Payne. But this is the tweet from TJ Walker. He says, this is wild. Easily the strangest L career that I can remember. 
There was virtually no tape on Davis when he committed to UofL. He was not included in any rankings, basically no offers or recruiting pages, a total mystery of a recruit. Super weird UofL would bring in a player with his resume, obviously shows the state of the cards program. Once the season starts, there's a wild rumor that Davis threw down with Kenny Payne and security had to separate the brawl. UofL says it doesn't happen, goes out of their way to make sure everyone knows it didn't happen, but Davis never plays for UofL again after the rumors happen. Somehow we're just getting started. While sitting out and not being on the bench, despite Kenny Payne saying he's not in trouble and he is on the team, one random game he shows up to the Yum Center sitting in the stands, watching the team but not with the team. Kenny Payne is surprised to hear the news in the post game, but reiterates that he is not in trouble and he's a member of the team. However, he never did address why Davis was in the stands. Davis then tweets today, this was yesterday or two days ago, depending on when you're listening, it was Wednesday, that his grades are in good standing and he plans on attending the UofL game again from the stands tonight, meaning Wednesday night. Hours later, UofL tweets that he intends to transfer, basically UofL's way of telling him not to show up to the game and ending the relationship. Shortly after this tweet was created and sent out, Karan Davis tweeted that he did not tell UofL he intends to transfer and doesn't want to leave. It was false information from UofL, and it's disheartening and sad. And somehow, that's the whole tweet from TJ Walker. The saga did not end. UofL had to go back on their statement earlier saying that Davis intended to transfer. And this is me talking, by the way. I'm done quoting TJ Walker. Thank you for that very long tweet, by the way, TJ. But ever since then, they had to tweet out basically saying, yeah, Karan Davis, he's no longer with the team. Like, we removed him. He, We tried to push earlier that he wanted to leave himself, but no, we actually kicked him off the team. And then UofL loses by what? 15? It was at least 10-plus to, like, Arkansas State, who is an awful team. Well, Kenny Payne, it's just time to get on our bench already. Being, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say. Want, I mean, this whole situation is, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I mean, we want, one of the worst. We want him back. He is the biggest Nike guy in the world. Yes. We we want him and back. And Adidas school. That always tends to work out. Yeah. Right. But can we like, give him can we give him some time? I don't want him back on the bench like Saturday. Good. There's I too want much back going on. Give him next Thursday off season. I know he was great when he was here, man. I loved Kenny. You know, and the thing is, like, when people were saying Kenny Payne won those games, it was obviously hilarious, like comically untrue. But still, like everyone knew, like, this is a significant loss for Kentucky when Kenny Payne left like Kenny did a lot a lot of stuff behind the scenes um big for you know just like keeping the locker room glued together big for all kinds of things and um and but this like whole saga at Louisville I mean what four games won last year how many this year I think they're at four they might not win another one though four and four oh it's just so crazy I is he gonna make it to the Kentucky game like is he he gonna still be the coach they can't allow him to do that. I think I, I saw someone make a U of L fan make a good point. They may want him to be there for the UK, UK game because yeah. if he's there, Cal will not blow them out by 60. But if he's not there, Cal's going to run up that score. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, that's you, one thing. Oh, just think another of thing. I was, I, it, oh, go ahead. I, I was, I, I'm just kind of pointing out like, I have a conspiracy and I put on Twitter, a couple of people saw it that 
this whole thing with Karan Davis is orchestrated by U of L to try to get to fire KP with cause. Because he did have, there was a, allegedly an altercation. So if it comes out mm-hmm. like, hey, Karan Davis, now that you're no longer on the team, you have no reason to hide this. Did Kenny Payne try to punch you? Can we fire him with cause? I don't think for a second that that KP like started that fight. Just like, yeah, punch me. You know, like it's Kenny Payne. I don't, I don't know what happened, but if Kenny did try and start a fight with it, like you know, like well, if even if he didn't start it, like if you square up against like a player, like you can get fired for cause one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but you know, it's gone so so far already. Like, how are they going? They're going to fire him for calls now. Are they going to launch an investigation now? Is that what you're saying? And they're going to they're going to launch an investigation and find some evidence that they allegedly buried when they didn't want the story to get out. Oh well, that's like, also oh, waiting to happen if they don't. You know, if there's oh, evidence, then oh, but goodness, one hundred percent. You think but, that's uh, worth? The... You think that's worth U of L just to like avoid what is this buyout? Eight million dollars. Don't you think you'd right rather now, just? Don't you think you would rather just eat the buyout than like another lawsuit surrounding a a men's well, basketball head coach? Like, how many would that be? Three in a decade. The thing <laughs> is, like, it's not just the buyout because if they're going to go hire like a high end coach, they're going to have to buy that guy out of his current contract too. So, like, yeah, it's going to be a lot of money that UL is going to have to spend. Um, the funniest thing about this tweet about this conspiracy is that there are many U of L fans in that reply saying, I hope this is true. They want there to be a major conspiracy to get Kenny fired. They would rather be completely embarrassed as an athletic department than to have one more day with Kenny Payne. Did y'all see did y'all see Deputy Doofus who tweeted out like this is so embarrassing. We have to protect the brand. Like, do you know what like Louisville basketball brand is right now? <laughs> that is one big dumpster fire. It is so embarrassing. And last episode we talked about like all right, if us three plus Bradley, so if us four um, were given uh, Kenny Payne's spot and as a head coach, could we do a better job? Like, could we form a better basketball team than Louisville currently is? What we did not talk about is us four very passionate Kentucky fans who hate Louisville. Do you think us four could come together to do a worse job for Louisville? If it was our goal, like we need to take the program as much as we could. Do you think we could come up with it? Like it literally couldn't be scripted. Like if we're thinking about like how bad can we make U of L? Like having a player miss a, like half a game because they had the wrong tights for them, alleged like fight situations. Um like a player that no one knows is recruited and then he's just watching the game from the stands. We couldn't have like put together a worse, like U of L dumpster fire. If all four of us came together and tried. And I think that's the most impressive thing. It's strategic. If there is a conspiracy, I hope that it's Kenny Payne as like a, uh, a Kentucky sleeper agent that we sent over there to just have the program in absolute shambles. (laughs) And I, I still think it's so funny. The things that happened last year too, they hired, Milt Wagner <laughs> trying to get down. I mean, there's just it's so funny, man. It's just so funny. <laughs> it would be so funny. And obviously, this isn't gonna happen, but on third next Thursday, if as he's being introduced by the Yum Center PA guy, it's like, and now your coach for the Louisville Cardinals, Kenny Payne, and all the UK fans that will be packed in 
the um center are cheering for him because <laughs> of course happen. you're not going to boo him at this point you're cheering for him um that will that, happen. that he then immediately like gets the microphone says all right guys i did it and then rips off his suit and like has like <laughs> kentucky stuff underneath it's like mission oh, accomplished <laughs> so obviously that last part isn't going to happen but like yeah. the first 90 percent of it could like they could yeah. announce head coach kenny Payne, and just an entire young center of blue shirts stands up and gives him a standing <laughs> out for the work there- he's done over the past two years I was there at Rupp last year and they booed every one of the, you know, like they announced them and the, mm-hmm. uh, the eruption goes, oh, sucks, you know, whatever. Like, um, and the LLS sucks or whatever. And then Kenny Payne comes out there, whoa. You know, everybody's, everybody's <laughs> cheering and going crazy for Kenny. It's pretty funny. Oh my gosh. Um, did y'all, did, switching topics here, did y'all see the college basketball reference tweet? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. We're so they posted a map of the United States. This is quite the transition. I literally just like wanted to start talking about something else. Um, they posted a map of the United States and of each state, they put a team logo for who the most viewed men's team page in the state is. So obviously you have like a lot of like home schools, like Washington, Gonzaga was the most viewed school, Oregon, Oregon was the most viewed school, Kentucky, obviously Kentucky was, but in Tennessee, Kentucky was also the most viewed team. So the most amount of team searches on college basketball reference in the state of Tennessee was for Kentucky. You could say the same thing about Virginia, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, California, Alaska, Maine, 22 of the 50 states. The most viewed team for college basketball reference, they looked up Kentucky as a state more than any other. 22, including like rivals like Florida and Tennessee. This is the definition of rent-free. That's hilarious. Like Virginia, they have like one of the better all-time college basketball programs. They're looking up Kentucky. California, more people looking up Kentucky and California than any other school. That's kind of funny. Montana, BBN, it's worldwide. It's at least countrywide, according it to this map. More it is worldwide, I think. Do y'all remember that random video of that guy? He was an Indiana fan, and he was like in Japan. And he was like, I just stumbled upon a Kentucky basketball themed restaurant in this random city in Japan. And he went in and was showing like, you know, there was a whole video and everything. And it was like, you know, Kentucky flags hanging all over. It was just this restaurant in Japan. And he was like, I don't know what's going on, but it's worldwide, man. I just think that Tennessee blue is hilarious. It was on Twitter exclusively, WT. I'll have to see. It'll be tricky to find. It's the number one UK Wildcat Cafe. Oh, you oh found my gosh. Oh, you looked it up in Japan. Yes, this is wild. We need to have a rough no good takeover. You want to go there? <laughs> you want to record there? <laughs> R2NG takes over Japan. Why is there a University of Kentucky themed restaurant in Japan? Yeah, there's a Indiana this fan. Is cool. Yeah, so it's a KSR article found it here on three. Look, Indiana fan finds Kentucky themed restaurant in Japan. Let me see if I can find the tweets. Um, it's pretty awesome though. So do you know we're having a really we're having a really solid day for uh K or not KSR for Rep to No Good out of context. <laughs> so this is this is great this is solid work guys so did you know that one of the most 
famous Kentucky bourbons, Blanton's, was like very, very popular in Japan. The whole idea of a single barrel, which was invented in Kentucky, was made in Japan. So I wonder if there's some bourbon connection there. Like someone had to like market this bourbon and move from Kentucky out to Japan to start that industry. And then they're just like, well, I'm a Kentucky fan, so we're just going to open a Kentucky-themed bar or restaurant here as well. I wonder if there's some connection there. We'll have to investigate. We'll send our listeners on it. Hmm. Oh, there's three different locations within uh, Japan for this <laughs> restaurant. It's not just one location. That's interesting. That's How many locations? Three. There's three. There's one in... Uh, oh, geez. I, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to try to pronounce those. Uh, but <laughs> uh, there's one in Osaka, one in uh, Honten, and one in uh, Nishinomiya. I definitely said that wrong, but uh, that is pretty cool. That is just, it's a chain restaurant. <laughs> yeah. So worldwide, BBN, how about that? This is what World War II got you. They're definitely listening right now. They're definitely friends of the program. So shout oh, out how to many them. listeners do we have in Japan? <laughs> Can we check that? I want. I, w- I will look it up. <laughs> but seg- segueing into actual uh, content, uh, two different uh kentucky basketball coaches the head coach and of course assistant bruiser flint um both had comments on the style of play of kentucky's offense and the usage of bigs within those um within that offense and the first one was a quote uh posted by jeff drummond that wasn't entirely accurate i really like jeff he's a really good guy and he's built up a really good reputation I, i'm sure he was just listening and typed the tweet out a little too fast so i'm not going to hold this against it like no one be mean to jeff he's a really good guy um but this quote was taken very out of context and ran with and it was actually big blue bud who came to save the day found the actual full quote and posted it um and it it, it started off and people were like whoa cal's saying we have to play with two bigs why do we have to play with two bigs? That's just going to ruin the style of play. And then like, what's the full quote that comes out? Cal pretty much says, what is the best way I can play with two bigs? Because both of our bigs are very skilled. They can shoot it. I don't want to put them both on the block. How can we space it? How? What is the best way that we can play with these two guys? And that's a very important quote because you're the coach. These are two of your better players. It's your job to find out how to be able to integrate them and play them together without sacrificing what's actually working in the offense, which is spacing, which is pace of play. And that's what Cal is trying to do. How can I play Aaron Bradshaw, who's a top five player on this team, and Trey Mitchell, who's a top five player on the team, on the court at the same time and still space everything out? That's pretty much what Cal said, and that's literally his job. So the fact that that got taken out of context and ran with and made as big a deal as it was, Absolutely ridiculous. Buddy, thank you for coming and saving the day. Uh, Yeah, it was just misquoted and people were like freaking out. I don't even know if that was like the intention of Jeff whenever he posted that quote or what, but people just immediately started having like the worst possible uh, reaction to that. But the actual quote, and I think I guess we'll get into it in a minute with whatever uh, Bruiser Flint said, but aside from that, uh, like, I just find it silly and like it's pretty casual. I think these uh, like hard, fast rules that people think that we have to to adhere to with uh, like 
we must shoot 28 threes a game or whatever, or we're just like a dysfunctional offense. There should be no mid-range shots. Mid-range is the worst shot in basketball. You don't take shots from the mid-range elbow anywhere. You don't do that. You can only have one big on the court at all times. Like all of these, we only, you know, play five, like all of these things are situational. Like this could be your, like, you know, your driving philosophy, but all of these things, there are times that you're going to have to play in the SEC, especially there will be a time when it's the right thing to play two bigs. It's just, it's easy and it's obvious. Asking what's the best way to do that is the right question and definitely something that we should be thinking about uh, without clogging up the lane. And, and you, you know, it's sticking to those principles that you like, the offense that you want to have and that style, uh, it's just, it's a given. I, I really dislike and am annoyed by all of this, like, uh, you know, we must do this and we must do this, uh, trying to stick to like the analytics ball or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and just shutting out everything. It's, it's casual at some point. And it's not like we're talking about Dakari Johnson and Marcus Lee playing at the same time or uh, right. Oscar Shibway and Lance Ware, shout out Lance Ware front of the program. Like we're talking about Trey Mitchell, who's shooting 35% from three on 3.2 attempts per game. And, uh, Aaron Bradshaw, who hit a three in his first like full length game and who has been advertised as a very versatile big that can uh, like handle the ball that can play on the perimeter. Um, he's also seven foot two. Like, uh, like you're going to play him, obviously, like Trey Mitchell's natural position is like a three or a four, probably a four. And Aaron's is a five. Like they make sense on the court together. So it's not, we're not playing two centers together. We are playing a stretch four, which is something we've been begging for for years in Trey Mitchell and a versatile five, something we've been begging for for years. Like this is what we've always wanted. And Cal has said on multiple, multiple, multiple occasions, we were all there for one of them after the Miami game when we were staying for the uh, radio show. He said specifically, I don't want to change the way we play basketball. I don't want to change our system. Now we might run some different sets. We might try to get a post look with our seven foot two freaking center, but like he wants to keep the way we're playing. I, 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 I don't get being upset. Like if I think Matt said this last episode about like being potentially wrong. Like if, if we come out against uh, North Carolina and we have two guys in the paint and it's just like, awful looking offense i'm wrong fair enough but the way this roster was constructed and the reason why we've been so excited for this team since july is because we want guys like trey mitchell and aaron bradshaw on the floor together and i'm just wondering what what did what did the fans want whenever they said <laughs> you know free big z and like oh my gosh yay aaron bradshaw's back like what do, what did you want? Like what what did you want to have? What did you think was going to happen when they came back? Right. I knew it was going to happen too because everyone was free Big Z. And it was like, oh, we beat Kansas once we have our centers. I'm just like, you you know what that means? I know what that means. Do you know what that means? Do you know like what it means when we're actually going to have seven footers on the team? Yeah. Speaking and, of situations when you have two bigs on the floor, right? But here's the thing. So, train. Like, no one's mad at Aaron Bradshaw at the five. Like, he's a top five, top six recruit. He's going to be a lottery pick. He was our best player in his second game. Uh, first game, the whole team looked bad, so you can't really hold that against him. If you're having Aaron Bradshaw at the five, 
would you rather have a Dutiero who is a 16% three-point shooter at the four? Justin Edwards, who's a 25% three-point shooter at the floor at the four, or Trey Mitchell, who's shooting 35%. Trey Mitchell has 10 threes this year. That is more than Justin Edwards and Adutiero combined. He has 10, Edwards has seven, Adu has one. And I'm pretty sure that one was literally like our first made field goal of the entire season. So ever since the first basket went in for Kentucky, Adutiero has not made a three cents. So if you're purely looking at court spacing, Trey Mitchell at the four actually makes more sense when you consider that he's also a better passer than Adu and Justin. He's more veteran. He's more smart. He spaces out the floor. You can pick and pop with him. Justin's still finding his space, and everyone was complaining about the stupid long two that Adu Thiero took last game. Plus, what is our biggest weakness? Rebounding. What's our second? Defense. What helps with rebounding and defense? Tall guys. It helps. I promise you guys. I remember a time this summer when people were sad about our bigs being out because Trey Mitchell had to play the five. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've like taken this, uh, this flip-flop approach or what, I, I don't know. It's, it is what it is. I get it. You don't want to break it, right? If it works, uh, if it ain't, uh, or I guess fix it, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the one way or another, you know what I'm trying to say. But, um, but you know, to, to some degree, like these guys had to play. We always had a plan. Let's see how it plays out. You know what I mean? We've, we've done all right. Uh, you know, not even being whole. So let's see what we what we're actually made of as a as a full team. Yeah. So what what was the the I get the what's it called the um, UNC Wilmington game? We played really count. bad. It was a faulty court, anyways. It really does not count. Like you can't even talk about that game. But other than that game, where everything just went wrong, it was a very bad game. Look at the next game. Like we shot twenty threes against Penn. And shot 40% from three and 50% from the field. That's not a bad offense. Like we scored 81 in a game where like there weren't a lot of fouls. So we weren't shooting free throws. There wasn't a lot of stop clock. It like really kept moving. Like it, it was not a bad offensive performance. Now we get to test it out against North Carolina, a real good test. And we get to see how we play. Here's the thing. I think that Aaron Bradshaw and Trey Mitchell are both skilled enough. They both shoot well enough. And I like the added height for rebounding and defense, like I said, where I want them on the court at the same time in meaningful moments, 40 minutes a game. No, there should be moments where we play a do and Justin at the stretch four. And while we do have like Aaron and Trey out there together, I don't think we should put like Burks at the three or like a do at the three, maybe Justin, if he's hitting his shots and playing well, uh, I'm not trying to make the entire team big, but while I think they're out there together, I think they should be there together. Or while they are out there, I don't mind them being together at least. However, what I don't want is to go back to the UNC Wilmington game where when we play them together, they're just double posting up all the time, which we've shown against the Penn game is not how we want to use them. What what was like, remember, I forget, it was like the first or second game. Cal like literally was like, hey guys, did you see that tweak that we did in the second half? And everyone was like, wow, this was so amazing. Like, I hope we do this more often. What was it? It was Trey Mitchell at the top of the key, like passing out of there. We can do that more if Aaron Bradshaw is at the five and Trey's at the four. He gets to be able to come out there and do that more. What I don't want to see is them both in the post. What I don't want to see is us slowing the pace down. And that's kind of what the other coach had mentioned, Bruiser Flint, kind of alluded to today. 
And that kind of worried me. And that's two different discussions. I don't think we should double post up. I don't think we should slow it down. I think we should keep the pace up. I think we should use Aaron Bradshaw and Trey Mitchell on the perimeter as much as we can to keep that spacing like Calipari said we should do. Bruiser Flint, again, I, I don't know if I have the full quote. Maybe I'm taking it out of context. Maybe I'm the bad one this time. But he kind of said, yeah, we're, we're trying to switch it up. We're, we're trying to, uh, I, I guess, be more dynamic, not be reliant on one thing. And one of the ways we're going to do that is post the ball up more with our centers and slow it down. I don't like that. I don't like that. And WT, I think you even said earlier, like, bam, yeah, we posted him up. But that 2017 team still played fast. If you are going to use Aaron Bradshaw on the post or Trey Mitchell on the post, please don't do both. But if you're going to use one, please keep playing fast because you can do it. One thing I really liked in the pin game is uh, Aaron Bradshaw didn't get a ton of post feeds. Um, but when he did, they were mostly in transition where he is a, he is Calipari's favorite type of center. When we get the ball on a rebound or anything like that, he is running to the front of the rim. And we saw that amazing Reed Shepard pass to him. We saw a couple other times where they got it to him, like in transition. That's the type of post feed that we need. Uh, the other times where we saw post feeds to one of the bigs uh, is when we got Trey Mitchell in like that like high post area. Um, who did they send help uh, from to double Trey? They sent it from Aaron. Aaron. And what did Aaron do? He cut back door which is what you train them to do. And he got his uh, first basket out of it. Like playing these two together can work. Posting up can work, but you have to keep the defense on their toes, especially with the amount of guards we have playing that faster pace is going to be in our advantage nine times out of 10. Um, now I do think I, I forget who I saw it. So whoever I'm shout shouting out, whoever I saw this from, I don't have the tweet in front of me. Um, someone made a really good point that when we get to March or even when we just get to conference play, you're going to have to win in several different ways. There's going to be a game where it's like 65 to 62 with three minutes left. And we have to learn how to play slow and play through the posts and like really grind out games. So having multiple ways that you can play is really, really helpful. So if we're going to slow the pace down, that's fine. Don't slow it down for the whole season. But if you think that will give you a competitive advantage against that specific opponent, yeah, it's great to learn how to play that way. So we should, uh, we saw like there have been teams in the past that we've had that struggled once they got out of their base way of playing. That 2016-2017 team was one example. When we were playing fast, we were going. That team was great. People also forget that team had like a three or four game losing streak in SEC play because they played a bunch of teams that slowed them down. And that North Carolina game in the Elite Eight, North Carolina adjusted from the regular season game and slowed the game down, and we struggled because we couldn't play slow. So I think adjusting the pace based on the opponent can actually work. It just has to be done wisely, and that's what we have to uh, see if that actually happens. Uh, yeah, I I agree to both points, and and what Sack said, this was definitely a more concerning quote than than what Cal said. Nothing that Cal said made me think that we're oh we're slowing down, but Bruiser straight up said the word that he used though was balanced, and uh, you know you have to learn to play different ways. WT, you explained it thoroughly, uh, and I think balanced is the best word for it. Um, and so you know I, I that's good and all. Also, you know. 
I, I would be even more worried about it if I hadn't saw what I saw out of Bradshaw this last game. He looked good uh, down there and, and strong. Um, I don't know that um, Big Z will be. I, I I would think that that's where Ugo uh, would excel. Um, but we'll see. But it's all situational. But But yes, we still need to play fast. That's how it works. We ball. Go cats. Yeah, it's sounding like Ugo is gonna <laughs> come back too as soon as we have to start complaining about centers. Of course, that's when Ugo comes back. Um couldn't have came back when we were complaining about not having any centers, but oh well. Um gotta love God's timing sometimes. But anyways, Ugo's coming back. I know we're gonna have a listener question or two and like what does the rotation look like? How much does he play? Personally, here's what I think we should do. I think we should play so the big four guards that I think need to play is Reed. DJ, Rob, and Reeves. And I would play those guys about 25 to 30 minutes at the one through three. So if you play two of them 25 minutes and two of them 30, just on how they're doing, they'd like play the better two, the full 30 minutes, and maybe the other guys miss a rotation or something like that. Um, that means you have quick maths, 110 minutes of the 120 minutes of the available uh, 110 of the available 120 minutes at the one through three the remaining 10 i'd probably give to justin i'd probably give justin another 10 at the four i'd give a do about 10 at the four and then the remaining minutes i would just have uh aaron and trey some at the five maybe some at the four and five out there together and about five minutes a game i would like to see ugo come in or burks to come in just as a change of pace type of guy that's what i would do the thing with ugo and we talked about this earlier. Like when you put Ugo in, you have to put him in the post. Like he's just, I don't think from the last time we saw him after him having to like forego, I think it was surgery and he's missed this much time. I don't think he's learned a three point shot since like undergoing an injury um, and having to miss a lot of time. So he will be in the post. You do sacrifice um, offense with him being out there, but he, immediately is the best defender on the court. I don't think Aaron Bradshaw is going to be a very good rim protector come SEC play. I think he kind of took advantage of just playing a very short and white pen team. I think long-term, he's just not going to be like an elite shot blocker. I think Ugo can be. So that's why I still want to see five-ish, just change of minutes, uh, change of pace minutes from him. But I just think he probably does sacrifice offense, just identity of the team too much. That's what kind of sucks. Like sometimes you just have good players and they just don't quite fit in with what the team wants to do. Um, yeah. Kind of like a really weird example that doesn't completely match. But like Savir Wheeler, he was an objectively good player. Like Bob Cousy, finalist, uh, led the SEC in assists back-to-back years. But you put him on a roster like last year's, which is really bad defensively and doesn't have spacing. Uh, doesn't have a lot of really good shooters like Chris Livingston's at the three. Toppin, who was scared shitless to shoot the ball at the four for the first half of the season. Oscar at the five. Like, that's just not a good fit for Sabir. And that's kind of how I feel about Ugo. I feel like there's a lot of teams he would be really, really good on. This year, I'm just not sure I see the fit. Does he stick around enough last year? Do we ever see the best of Uganda and Yenzo at Kentucky? I don't know. Um, but kind of like anything, like we'll we'll have to see. He'll, it looks like he'll probably have a shot against a very good player in Armando Baycott at North Carolina, but we'll see. Hugo is a matchup center, I think. I think that there will be a, a couple games this year where he plays 15 to 20 minutes just because he 
is our best option against whoever the other team has. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year, uh, he didn't play extended minutes, but he was pretty effective against Hunter Dickinson when he was at Michigan, Uh, playing some pretty good defense against him, just couldn't really get it on the offensive end. Um, So I think against a guy like Armando Baycott, I don't think Ugo is going to be trusted to play like 15, 20 minutes in his first game back, but I can see him playing five to seven really important minutes to keep Aaron and Trey out of foul trouble. um, And just to give Armando like, a couple minutes where he can't just physically dominate someone. Uh, and then when you get into SEC play and you see a lot of really physical centers and like guys that'll like be really bruising and like Aaron and Trey can't push around, Ugo might actually be the most advantageous matchup. So uh, the thing about like guys like Aaron and Trey, you can plug into almost any system and they are going to succeed. Ugo is very much like you said, Matt, like he, you got to plug and play him in specific systems against specific opponents. And I think that's valuable for this team. I just, uh, I also think that he might be looking for teams that want that more consistently next year. No, it's situational. And, you know, when you think about it that way, it's actually, it's really nice to have that piece on our, on our roster. You know what I mean? Somebody who's going to, who's going to be there kind of in the toolbox. Uh, Cause you kind of feel bad for him a little bit. Like, Hey, you know, at one point we didn't have any centers and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, we had, we had a couple other seven footers as well. And then we had Trey who's really, and so, you know, what's really your role, but that's no, that's a good way to look at it. Um, can we talk about, I think we're a third of the way through the season now, or, you know, through the whatever. Um, how are we feeling about, I'll just leave it vague and open. How are we feeling about Justin Edwards? How are we feeling overall? I am, I'm a little bit worried in the sake of, um, can he's still I'm I'm interested to see what route he takes. Because Calipari was like, oh yeah, he's got like a 30-point game coming. Like he's gonna break out, he's gonna be a star, which I do think is possible, but I kind of almost want to be like, all right, you're not the 30 point like in a game type of guy. You might not even get 20 in a game. How can you just be like a better version of like what Adu Thierro and Jordan Burks have gave us so far as kind of like a three, four hybrid, like just go out there and be a role player. And I think if he just committed and bought into that, cause I'm like, think of all the things we've heard on Justin Edwards. Like how's like, yeah, he's, he's a little tired at practice. Doesn't think he's fully bought in yet. He might not be the star, but he can still be a very, very, very good piece on this team but it seems like almost with him so far, and again, maybe I'm reaching here. I don't know his full situation. It seems like his approach is like, it's kind of like I'm going to be the star or bust, you know? Like, if I'm not going to be the star, I'm. he doesn't really find ways to contribute otherwise. And that really upsets me because he can be a very good rebounder with his size and athleticism. He could run in transition and just get a bunch of dunk, easy dunks and layups all game. He can be... He can be a, a serviceable three-point shooter from the three and four spots, space out the floor, just knock down open shots, not try to force too much. He could do a lot of good things that could help this team win. But it seems like once stuff just stops going for him, it, it you kind of you kind of see that uh just that motor taper off a little bit. And that that has me worried. I'm not gonna lie. I'm concerned. I good. I am worried about Justin. Um, I'd be a lot more worried if we didn't get potentially top 10 college basketball player in Reed Shepard. Reed Reed kind of providing that guard depth uh, unexpectedly is kind of covering that Justin hole there. 
but uh, this team isn't its best version of itself without Justin. Um, and I've been trying to go through like past Kentucky teams to try to find like who do we want them to be. Like uh, Sag mentioned Chris Livingston. Um, that that I think that's a good potential comparison. Like he's just got he has so many physical gifts. He he has to translate that to defense and rebounding. Guys that translate their physical gifts to defensive rebounding, they figure it out. The guy that I went that I go to is DeAndre Liggins. That if he can be a DeAndre Liggins where he just commits physically and mentally to the defensive end and lets offense come to him. Here's the thing. DeAndre Liggins, like he was very talented. He his max was like eight points a game, uh, averaging. Justin, he's struggling and he's scoring 10 points a game. Mm-hmm. So like if Justin's able to commit fully to defense and like let that work, let, judge his own play on that and to get his energy from that side of the ball, I think the offense comes with it because that's when you pick up the energy. That's when you go after those offensive rebounds. That's when you get those putbacks. That's when you make those extra cuts towards the basket. Um, but yeah, just right now he is not doing anything that is wowing me yeah it's concerning i've chris livingston's honestly a pretty good comparison for multiple reasons it, i mean that goes pretty deep actually <laughs> but um but, but yeah all right it, well i was just taking stock i'm uh i'm not gonna say that i'm concerned and i'm not gonna say like I'm not gonna write anything off because of like right, history. Of like like if you like everyone's saying like oh a team that's ever lost to a team like UNC Wilmington, it's impossible for them to win a championship because it hasn't happened in the past twenty years. Okay, so let's just stop playing the season. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I'm just trying to think in the Cal era, what's an example of a one and done type guy? Not even oh yeah, let's just stick one and done for now. A guy that came in and really struggled as a freshman, was supposed to be the guy, really struggled to put it together, and then maybe didn't become the best player, but found a role and was, like, elite in that role for, like, the second half of the season. I'm trying to think of a guy that just halfway through and put it all together. There's one I could kind of think of, like, Emmanuel quickly. Like, remember, he came off the bench. He didn't have the best first, like, eight or nine games, and then Cleo Whitney kind of phased out, and then he found a role in the starting lineup. Next thing you know, he's SEC player of the year, which has only been done like two other times in the Cal era. So that's kind of the only guy I can think of. But I'm trying to think of a freshman. Like who's kind of been in his situation the first 10 games? Wasn't bad, was still putting up stats, but you could tell like he's just not on the level of these other elite freshmen. And then a couple puts guys it all like, together like in, in January. They're completely different players, but um... – Devin Booker, when his first few months at Kentucky, he couldn't hit a shot because they had changed his jump shot um, in the offseason. They tried to make it a quicker release, and he was just could not figure it out in games. And then it just clicked, and he was one of our best shooters in Kentucky history. Um, but obviously, that that like their games are completely different. So I, I'm trying. I'm really trying to think of like a guy that uh, Chris Livingston might be the best example again. Because Chris came in as like this skilled three who's going to be like the next Kelvin Johnson or whatever. And he just did not perform offensively. 
And what he figured out come SEC play is like, if I am the best rebounder, if I am the best defender and like the best energy guy, I'm going to get my playing time. And that's what happened. Now it was on a roster that was not built well for him, but this roster is built well for Justin. Because if you're surrounded by three or four shooters, if you're an athletic wing that can get to the basket, that's really good for you. <laughs> so it, it, I, I think, and like I said earlier, I think if he just commits the defensive end and really buys in there, then he'll be fine. I need to I need to see him get to the basket though a little bit more or better. But and here's the here's the yeah, thing. you kind of like hope that people... he's just like he's not Khalil Whitney, you know, like he doesn't yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he doesn't turn out to be that guy instead. You know what I mean? I'm, it's sort of like I'm really people. trying not to say that name. <laughs> <laughs> but what you said, like he needs to get to the basket, and when people complained about long twos. I guarantee you, like, Cal is not saying, hey, Justin, you see this white guy with a mustache that's five inches taller than you and nowhere near on the same level as athletic as you? Please pull up and settle for an 18-foot jump shot right now. I guarantee you Cal wasn't saying that. I guarantee you Cal wants him to beat that guy off the dribble and either get to the free throw line, dunk on his stupid mustache face, or get double teamed and throw a lob or kick it out to an open shooter. I guarantee you that's what Cal wanted to happen. It's like it wasn't Cal's saying for him to stop. By the way, I did look up Devin Booker really quick. You kind of were correct, but it didn't take that long to turn around. First three games, he started one of 11 from three, but the following three games, he shot 11 of 17 from three, or 12 of oh, 17 okay. from three. There you go. So he very quickly became like a 50% three-point shooter in the matter of three games. So Revisionist history. I I, I had this vision of like he didn't figure it out till SEC play. Now, Devin Booker's pretty darn good, isn't he? I mean, he did have some ups and downs, but it it was game four. He was four of six, then three of five, then five of six. Damn. (laughs) All right. what's Uh, What's your take on Edwards, buddy? You're the one who brought it up. I'm concerned uh, a little bit. I did, did you say he took the 18 footer? But what I was going to say, he, he did take all, a couple. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I was going to say, first of all, to to that is, you know, Cal's not telling him to do that, but unless he's sitting them for doing that, then he's not serious. You know what I mean? Um, and so I kind of, I get, you know, both ways there. Like you want to, you want to get that under control. Like this is what we're trying to be, you know, uh, not too strict, but a little more strict than just like. Uh, I mean, Justin only did play 14 minutes last game. A uh, little foul trouble, but he only played 14 minutes. Fouls. Yeah, um, I just don't know. I just don't know. I've not seen him do the things that he is supposed to be doing. I've not seen him really get to the basket. I've not seen him. I'm not really, I don't really know what he, like what his role is. It's, it's weird with our, I mean, we have so many offensive options. I like what WT says, uh, you know, dedicate yourself to the the defense. Um, and just like, I don't know. I just need to, I want to see him find that role. I want him to succeed. I just have some doubts and I really super hope I'm wrong, but I've had, I've kind of been worrying about him for a few games now and, and kind of holding my tongue on it, but I am I'm concerned that he's just not going to pan out that he's going to be that like Chris Livingston kind of guy and you're going to have flashes maybe here and there but you're never going to and then he's going to go off to the league and he's just going to have burned some minutes and you know there we go. Uh, that's what I'm worried about. Uh, not to be pessimistic or anything. It's just uh 
I, I really hope that that you know he kind of finds his place and uh you know we get we get the full Justin Edwards because he was a high prospect, a lot of hype. And obviously that makes it harder. Um, but you know, it is what it is. You gotta you gotta do it. You wanna switch over to the football team? I mean, they've been killing it in the portal. I feel like we got to yeah. talk to them for a little bit. Um, I think since the last time we talked football, we've had we've had one podcast in between, but we didn't talk football at all. But Kentucky is loaded up on former five-star recruit Brock Vandergriff at quarterback. We got a Ohio State running back, Chip Trainum. We had a transfer wide receiver from Texas A&M, Raymond Cottrell. And uh, most recently... Jamori Macklin, a cousin of Jeremy Macklin, a former NFL star. Uh, he hit the portal from, was it North Texas? Had a very impressive season. He had like a 1,000-yard season, like 10-plus touchdowns this past year. Um, wide receiver, he hit the portal. I find it very interesting and, and very exciting, too. Remember, like, in I think it was right before the Tennessee game, like, Ray Davis was the best running back in college football in the passing game just was not it whatsoever. And Mark Stoop said, we're not going to let like the failures in the passing game uh, have us go away from it. We're like, eh, maybe we should just give Ray Davis the ball more and not worry so much about trying to make Devin Leary and Barry and Brown and Dane key just work all of a sudden. But even after the passing game fail or continued to fail, what are like the first pieces that we add in the off season? It's all skilled position players. Like it's quarterback, running back, wide receiver, wide receiver. Um, we're, we're still dedicated to making this passing game work. And I really like that. I'm really excited. I'm glad that like Mark Stoops, like who's like historically a very like run the ball, slow down the clock, um, very like defensive, like very conservative type guy. Um, he's going out and it's like, oh yeah, we're just going to fully invest in our offense in the passing game again. Like, I know that didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but I'm not going to stick what's comfortable for me. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to trust Liam Cohen and we're going to make this offensive passing game work. Very excited about that. Very excited about the players that we added. Uh, WT, how are you feeling about that? Uh, I think we saw Cohen and staff learn a little bit about what works in their system and what doesn't. Um, they went and got the best available quarterback last year. And I mean, these guys obviously know way more football than me. And most of you all probably know way more football than me, but like they, they went and got a guy that was number one quarterback in the portal, like had all these great numbers, uh, at NC state, um, but was not a pro style quarterback. He had no threat in the run game. He could not read a defense very well. Couldn't read his own offense very well. Can't go through his own progressions. And we really struggled in the past game. Yeah, he was accurate in practice, maybe. But <laughs> when he went up against, uh, like, SEC defenses, he really struggled. Um, now we're getting a guy that has – who can run, who, ha who has that part of his game, like Will Levis did, who has been developing at a school that runs a way more complicated offense than we do. And so he's been making some really difficult reads and developing under that system. Now he goes to a system where Liam Cohen is like designed it around the quarterback to like help them as much as possible. That's what we saw with Will Levis. Will came in as just a running specialist and all of a sudden he can read a defense and like make really awesome throws. That's all Liam Cohen. 
Now, he couldn't do that with Devin Leary because of some physical attributes and just because Devin had gotten really, really good at one specific style of football. Uh, Brock is still a little bit of an empty canvas, and Cohen can, gets to shape him however he wants. I also think it's interesting that on top of getting this really good former five-star quarterback and a couple wide receivers, we also went and got a bruising running back from Ohio State. So it looks like we are kind of going both ways. Uh, we're sticking with a little bit of Mark Stoops football. It's like, okay, if we're going to go get a guy that can get us two or three yards every single time, while also getting some high-octane offense. The one thing I want to see in the portal, though, is it wasn't necessarily the offense that was keeping us out of games at times. <laughs> I mean, if you go look at those games against uh, three of the four top ten teams we played, it was the defense that was really struggling in our secondary. And we've already lost a few secondary guys in the portal and we haven't really replaced them. Uh, so I really want to see some defensive uh, portal action for Kentucky here soon. Maybe that's happening behind the scenes. I don't know. I'm not an insider, obviously, but that's where my attention now turns that, that we have our quarterback situation figured out. I thought that's where it was going to start. And that's why I found it so interesting and exciting that like the very first thing we went after was skilled position guys. Like practically, I don't know if that's best. Uh, you'll have to talk to Luckett or Roush or Roland or guys that know way more football than us. Um, but it, it's exciting. It makes you get excited about playing the most difficult schedule in Kentucky football history, at least in my lifetime. I mean, Ole Miss is going to be very good this year. They might make the 12-team playoff. Texas will probably be in the playoff. They're in the playoff this year. We got to go play Georgia again. Um, it, just a brutal, brutal schedule at Tennessee, at Florida. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like the strategy of going all in on guys – that were like kind of second options at very, very good schools. Um, maybe they weren't necessarily the like top, like, like uh, Devin Leary, he was a star at a smaller ACC school. Brock Vandergriff was the backup, very close to being the starter, but the backup at Georgia, the premier team in college basketball or in college football over the past three seasons. It's kind of like the Will Levis. Like Will Levis was knocking on the door of like, all right, I'm starting to get some snaps. I'm finding a role within Penn State but I'm not the quarterback there, even though they're like a top 10, top 12 program. I'm going to go to Kentucky. And he turned out very well, much better than um, Devin Leary did at least. So what, and, and then again, Chip Trainum, he's the backup running back at Ohio state. Buddy, what do you think about that strategy? Would you rather get uh, like a, cause we, it's like, we still went after like Macklin from North Texas, you know? So we kind of are getting the best of both worlds. Do you want to get the best player? from like a smaller school or like a, a middle tier, maybe backup guy from a smaller school. I'm not going to lie, Zach, buddy has no clue what you've been talking about. He is in a group chat <laughs> right now, having a conversation with some of our friends, shout out oh, Corey in front of the program. He has not been listening to a word you have said. <laughs> well, I was trying to get him involved. I was trying to get him involved. I wanted to hear buddy talk. That. He's been quiet for a minute, but I guess I now I see why. That. I appreciate that. You said, would I rather have something or something? Definitely the second option, whatever that was. <laughs> I said, would you rather have like, and I, I, I guess it kind of applies to all sports, but would you rather have the best player on like a smaller school as like a transfer, like a, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of a past example, but like we got uh, Jamori Macklin from North Texas, like wide receiver, put up insane stats there, but played at North Texas. Or would you rather have a guy, um, I don't, you don't have to choose because we got both of these guys, but a guy like Brock Vandergriff or Will Levis, oh. who's a backup quarterback, but at like a, a premier school. Oh, yeah. 
first of all, that's a good question. Second of all, uh, definitely the the kind of guys we've got, Brock uh, Levis. I don't want someone who has kind of already been that guy to come in and want to continue to be that guy and have that sort of attitude and that, you know, just like that mindset. I love the idea of taking a backup from somewhere uh, that thought he was good enough to be on that team. And then, you know, somebody who's got something to prove and, uh, you know, come and make a name for yourself at Kentucky, which is why we attract those guys because Kentucky is in a really good position to make a splash in the SEC without having the absolutely enormous standards or, you know, the, the recruiting to get somebody that's going to put you in the backup position. So uh, I, I love that they're going for those kind of guys. And I love that we get them. I think it, uh, you, Matt, you mentioned like in different sports or like in all sports, I think it's specifically a different thing with football and basketball in football. If you're getting like a top backup, that's a guy that doesn't see much playing time. Yeah. But in basketball, if you get a top backup that's a guy who did not earn a starting spot uh on a good team um so like in basketball i would love to have like antonio reeves guys all the time like really really good transfers from small schools because those are guys that have performed at a really really high level just need to get better competition in football though if you're getting like uh really really good guys from small schools especially at a position like quarterback then you risk just them not being able to fit like maybe they just had success because of level competition maybe they just had level of success because of the scheme they were running football is such a more intricate like a bunch of more cogs in the watch real like sport like that it's such a more complicated sport with all the moving pieces it's much more harder. To, it's much harder to project smaller school guys to bigger schools, but a guy like Brock, a guy like Will Levis, much easier to project. I think it's a lot safer to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, but Macklin, who we just got from North Texas, I do like that he's not coming in to be the guy. Like, continuing to be the guy, like Buddy had said, he doesn't want a guy like that doing because he's he, he knows that Brown and Key, at least one of them, maybe one of them transfers, but at least one of them, if not both of them, are going to be here and they're going to be the guys. Little funny story about Macklin. So on Kentucky's spike ball team, I have a friend named Jake. And I remember Jake saying that he was, uh, he played football in high school and he played in Mizzou or in Missouri, not at Mizzou, oh my gosh, but he played in Missouri, and he said his coach was Jeremy Macklin. So I was like, oh, like maybe he knows this guy, uh, Jamori Macklin. Maybe he played with him or something. And I said like, hey, do you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, that's my guy. Like, oh my gosh, he was so good. I was like, well, it looks like he's going to transfer to Kentucky. So uh, shout out Jake. He gave the approval of Macklin. He said he's his dog. He said that's his guy. Uh, but back to basketball, back to listeners' questions. Back to this North Carolina game that we need to start transitioning into. Um, friend of the show, Corey HBBN, kind of gets us started. Besides Baycott and Bradshaw, what's the matchup that plays a part in who wins? Way to get us started there, Corey HBBN. I really like the North Carolina matchup, one, because of the history. I mean, how many fun games in this Cal era have we had? Very Some very sad endings, but almost every game against North Carolina has been fun. But one of the things that I like is there's a lot of parallels. Like you think about just a center that has been in college basketball way too long. They have Armando Baycott. We have Trey Mitchell, a 
guard that is a high volume scorer that really doesn't do much other than score the basketball. They have RJ Davis. We have Antonio Reeves, a five-star point guard. That is like the, just what makes their offense go. We have DJ Wagner and Rob Dillingham uh, and Reed Shepard to a degree as well. Um, Elliot Cadu for North Carolina. They have a uber athletic forward that is like a mismatch nightmare for them. They have Harrison Ingram who is averaging 15 points a game and shooting 46% from three. Can a do and Justin Edwards get on that level or at least mitigate that? Cause he's the biggest mismatch in my opinion. It's going to be a do and Justin Edwards, whichever one of them is in and playing against Harrison Ingram, I think we'll be fine at center. I like Bradshaw. Um, and Mitchell to go against Baycott. I think we're a bigger mismatch for them than he is for us. I like our guard depth over theirs, even though they have RJ and Kado. I think our backcourt's better than anyone. Can Justin Edwards finally have a game where he's really good on the defensive end? He could uh, mitigate a little bit of what Ingram does. Can Aduciero step up in a big game? In a big game, that's the matchup I'm looking for there at the forward. What do you guys have? I mean, Harrison Ingram is six foot eight, two hundred thirty pounds, uh, athletic guy. Plays thirty three minutes a game, so he he's just he's gonna be there, and he like he oh my gosh, he does so many things. Well, I'm very much a box score merchant, and I'm just looking through his stats, and it is wild. He's shooting forty six percent from three on almost five attempts a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's six point four rebounds a game two and a half assists a game, one and a half steals a game. Like he is like he he is the key to winning this matchup, I think. Um actually I sort of take that back. I I, I think that he is going to be very good and there's not much you can do about it. You can just kind of contain him. I still think that Armando Baycott is the key to winning this game. If you look at the season stats, he is averaging like 16 points a game, uh, shooting 52 percent, or shooting like 51 percent from the field. In their two losses to Villanova and to um, uh, who else they lose to uh, UConn, uh, he went against Villanova. Um, sorry, I'm pulling it up here. Uh, four for ten from the field, and against UConn, he went four for twelve from the field. Yeah. If you can limit his production, limit his efficiency, um, I think you really improve your chances of winning. Now, he also got to the line um, against uh, UConn. He shot like 10 free throws, didn't shoot any against Villanova. Um, So it's really all about containing Baycott because I think that's possible. We have uh Trey Mitchell who is really good at like bringing a double and like being a little physical like we saw what he could do against Hunter Dickinson yeah Hunter went off for a big number but Trey held his own uh but now we have Aaron Bradshaw who's seven foot two and is really tough to score over he just needs to be really physical and apparently we're bringing Hugo back which can uh cause some problems for Baycott um so I think with Harrison Ingram he's going to score 20 points there's not much you can do about it you can contain Baycott. You can you can make him have a bad day. Yeah, and if you could force one or two of those North Carolina guys to have a bad day, they don't have a lot of options. Like, they have R.J. Davis averages 21, Baycott 16, Harrison Ingram 15. Uh, Cormac Ryan averages 10 points a game 
And then their fifth leading scorer, Elliot Cadeau, just averages seven points a game. Aduciero is eighth in Kentucky with scoring. He averages 7.8. So we have eight guys that average more points a game than their fifth leading score. So we are very well balanced. Like we can have one or two bad nights and still have six very good performers. North Carolina does not have that luxury. Like if we can mitigate what Ingram does, or maybe we could just have, if RJ Davis does not have a good shooting night, if we could stop Baycott, we could, we could run away with this game because they simply do not have that many options. Um, Looking at another ACC opponent coming up, typical Kentucky fan. He has a very good question for us. Uh, He says, Tell me who's going to guard Mike James, Sky Clark, and Trey White. They look more stronger than you think, and I don't see Rob Reed for user D or DJ being able to defend them. A typical Kentucky fan, I just have three words to say to that. Say no more. Say no more. That's going to be a classic quote for years, years to come. I was just looking for that the other day. Actually, it was funny because this morning I was like, who has the say no more picture? And then, like, it was all over the timeline, like, an hour later. And I was like, oh, never mind that <laughs> they brought it back. But, oh, it's so funny that that one tweet and that one thread has, like, 80,000 views and, like, 50-something quote tweets. Or and it was in an argument with you, wasn't it, WT, like, originally? Yeah, I was the first, like, <laughs> I, we have a great relationship. I Here's the thing, and he's a friend of the program. He's absolutely listening. Um, I really respect Say No More. <laughs> I don't think they're, like... I don't I can't think of a single Twitter personality within the within Big Blue Nation that shit talks in favor of Kentucky that hard for no reason. Like I don't know if there's anybody in our fan base that if we went four and twenty-eight and then started the next season four and six and we're about to fire our coach, if I would be able to talk if we would be able to talk trash to any U of L fan about anything. But here he is. He is supporting his team, like talking shit. He's he's gonna get ratioed every single time, but he doesn't care. He is still going at it. I respect him for it, but it also creates some really really good content. Uh, So uh, shout out to him, but also you gotta learn what to stop, man. (laughs) Big Blue Cardi had asked, uh, "Can we get a blue white chant going in the Yum Center?" That, oh, that's an obvious yes. The real question is, WT, when you're there starting that chant, do you think Karan Davis will be in the stands of Yum Center joining in on the chant as well? Do you think he'll still be there sitting in the stands watching the Louisville games? You know what? Uh, I might walk around a little bit in Yum <laughs> Center, see if I can get a quick little interview so I can add it to an episode. <laughs> That would be kind of funny. Uh, no, I, I don't think he will be there. I think this situation really messed stuff up. But uh, um, yeah, I, it, it's going to be a really fun environment. Uh, I really hope that we get like a bring Kenny home chant or something like that, because uh, that would be just supremely funny. Uh, so yeah, if you're listening, buy tickets, go to the game. It's going to be great. It's going to be really fun. Friend of the show, Kentucky Spider, he says, what is your ideal lineup right now? That we have a big mine is DJ Dilly Reed, Trey, and Aaron Bradshaw. I completely agree. I think just running three very skilled five-star point guards like DJ Dilly and Reed, you have a athletic seven foot two guy and Aaron Bradshaw at the five, and you have a uh veteran guy like Trey Mitchell, the perfect glue guy, can space it, can pass it, do everything you need. I think you're right on Kentucky Spider. Uh buddy or WT, do y'all vary from that at all? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have uh, Adu, Justin, Trey, Aaron, and Ugo. I saw you um, say that. I was getting my blood sugar dropped when I saw that. Yeah, uh, I just think that like that amount of size on the court at once is is going to be really tough to defend and really tough to go against uh, offensively. I see absolutely no issues uh, with that lineup at all, and I think uh, Cal should 100% run it, and I really want to see BBN's reaction to that. We could run that lineup, win by 75 points against any team in the nation, and BBN would still have the ultimate – we only took four threes all game. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so, so bad. Uh, I, yeah, I saw that you said that here. That's what I was laughing at a second ago. Yep. We need to go to a four in one out offense. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> In in uh in all fairness, that one out is gonna have all the spacing in the world because no one will be clogging up the three point line. He'll have all the freedom to run wherever he wants. <laughs> clogging up. <laughs> uh, the the most important question at Dairy Queen is me. He says, "How much are we winning by Saturday?" And do you know what? I'll even throw in there. Who is our MVP? WT, start us off. All right, so we're going just going straight into a. Uh... Predictions for North Carolina? That's what at Dairy Queen is me wants to know how much we win. Is that straight up Dairy Queen? Dairy Queen is in our cool. Uh, uh, I'm going to go Kentucky wins in a shootout. I mean, if you look at Ken Palm, these teams are both great at offense and suck at defense. Uh, I think Kentucky wins uh, 94 to 90. Uh, and I'm going to say DJ Wagner. Uh dominates gets the rim a bunch uh, i think he's our mvp go ahead buddy buddy i've been thinking y'all didn't ask me a minute ago or didn't uh didn't go to me but i i agree with wg it's going to be a shootout i think the game eventually i don't know what did you say you think it comes down to like baycott i, I don't know if it comes down to baycott i think it boils down to a, a a game of guards at the end of this. Um, I've looked at their, I've watched most of their games, North Carolina's this season. The only one that they've really, really lost, uh, they went into overtime with Villanova and then uh, Cadeau got hurt. I think it was Cadeau. He like turned both his ankles or something on the same free throw. It was actually weird. Um, But the only game they've really lost was against UConn who won by out rebounding them. Uh, shooting 51% from the field, which they played bigger, and um, shooting 33s. And UNC only shot 20. Um, but our defense is atrocious. I am I think I'm glad our bigs are back. I'm really glad our bigs I'm, – I'm really struggling with this. I don't know who's going to win this game. I have a bad feeling about it. Um, sorry, I'm just sort of waffling over here. But I'll take Kentucky by three points. We'll say 89 to 86. And my MVP will be, I'm tempted to take Bradshaw again. Um, I'll take Bradshaw. I'll take Bradshaw. That was a whirlwind of emotions that you just took us through right there. I'm struggling. I do not. I don't feel good about this game. But when I, you know, based, I don't know. I, I don't predicted know. this game as a loss before the season started. 
but maybe I just swapped the two UNCs because I did have a win against UNCW. Wouldn't that be hilarious that if we lost to UNC Wilmington on our own home court, which is no longer our home court because we are the gold standard of college basketball, you got to remember. Um, but we beat the actual North Carolina, like one of the three greatest programs in college basketball history and a top 10 team in the country on a neutral court. But I think that's what happens. Give me the cats. 87 to 77. I was hoping you would have taken one of Rob. Yeah. I was hoping you're going to take one of Rob Dillingham or Reed Shepard. Um, because I wanted to pick one of them, but I don't know which one to pick. Oh, do you know that a leads our team in reboundings with six and a half? Just found that out. But give me Rob Dillingham as our MVP showing up on the big stage. I hope so. That's my we, 10, baby. What do we th- what do we think Bradley's gonna predict? Bradley's going to predict that we win by 48. Um, <laughs> Reed Shepard, the Kentucky boy. It has to be Reed <laughs> Shepard. Uh, I don't know. It's a guard game, but yeah. I did not get his uh, pen scoring 15 points uh, joke that he had in last uh, episode. Score I nailed that pen. I was two points away on their score and three points away on our score in the last one and said, well, was Aaron Bradshaw our MVP? Did oh, he was agree? for sure. Okay. Oh, 100%. Then, then I nailed it. So maybe, maybe I'll get it exactly right this time too. If we win in a close game and Aaron Bradshaw is our MVP going up against Armando. I think he's our lead score, but yeah. Yeah, go on. I mean, you have to think final four. Like if, if Bradshaw is that good and he shows up on the biggest stage like that with all our guards are playing, I just can't tell me nothing. Hopefully, we win. And the next time you hear from us, we are celebrating and having a great old time. We'll make sure to actually record because we had the Miami game, most fun game of all time, and then we forget to record, and then we come back and then need to talk about UNC Wellington. So let's beat that the shit out of North Carolina. They suck. Baycott, go get a real job. It is time. Go Cats. It is time. Job what even is a Tar Heel? Boo, I'm a job application. <laughs> <laughs>